This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. In this episode, Managing Difficult Moments. Last week we talked about how to create conflict among characters. Today we'll discuss how to handle those times when in-game tensions lead to turmoil at the table. Let's get to it. Hey, thanks for joining us on Up Your RPG. I'm here as always. My name is Arthur. I'm here with Emily and Michael, and we are joined this week by Rick. Hey. Michael, do you want to get us started? Yeah, and I, I think starting this show with the disclaimer that this is one of those really sensitive topics, right? We've even kind of done a little preamble to get ourselves sorted. And when it comes up, I, it's one of those moments that can really split up a table. And so I think it's a critically important conversation to have and to be able to have with your players and one that's always ongoing for us because you don't want things at the table to all of a sudden spill out and cause other issues that then you can't resolve, right? That a dice won't fix or something like that. And so Rick, I, I think I'll start with you and I, as a, DM in your or GM in your 5e campaign, uh, you've run up against situations, right, where uh, players have had controversy among themselves. And how have you kind of managed that situation and helped prevent it from spilling out? Yeah, uh, thanks. I, I, I have a couple, I think, and I would probably take one more generally, and that is with an issue that maybe doesn't happen any, to anything particularly in game, but that is having a new player join. Um, and I think that in and of itself can create some tension in a group that maybe has been playing for a few years. Um, you know, group dynamics are certainly a thing and finding sort of a good puzzle piece that can fit, I think is important. And so we recently, not recently, but, but over a year ago, had somebody join a group that's been playing for several years. Um, and it was sort of a, a, a almost a, a pretextual kind of conversation of, hey, are we okay with this? We had folks kind of uh, who were able to join each session. And we said maybe having an additional player at the table means we, we don't have to maybe skip a week, um, you know, from our weekly game. And the sort of consensus was, yeah, yeah, it would be great to have sort of a pitch hitter. Let's see how that goes. And I made it, you know, very clear up front. This is going to be sort of just a, a sort of a trial thing, just sort of see how things are going. And, you know, and, and the individual was really, you know, receptive to that and said, like, I totally understand, you know, these dynamics are really particular sometimes. And, and then, you know, it's worked out. And I think one of the things that I've done as a GM, DM specifically thereafter is maybe every two to three months kind of check in with the core group separately to say, hey, is this, is this still working for everybody? Um, is this still okay? And, and I think that's sort of a way to make sure you're checking in sort of with the players at your table so that that, that magic that happens at the table is, is still, you know, uh, afforded, right. That you can still move that forward despite, despite uh, maybe a, a dynamic that has changed. Um, so that would be one maybe takeaway is check in um, frequently, but maybe not, not burdensome uh, uh, to your players in some way. The other is when something specific happens. And so in a, in a situation we've had, um, a, a player came in as sort of a good aligned character and through some misadventures, that alignment shifted due to some bad decisions uh, or uh, bad is maybe too much of a, of a judgmental word, but of, of questionable uh, uh, paths that they've taken and their alignment shifted. 
Um, and, and it happened, I think, once or twice. And eventually they became an evil character, right, in terms of their quote unquote alignment or that spectrum has shifted. Um, and as somebody who really tries to role play in the game, they then try to become a little bit more antagonistic. They also had sort of a madness that took on that they thought they were better than everybody else. So you can see sort of where this these train tracks are leading. If you have a player who now is trying to role play that, you're going to inherently breed conflict within that group and the question is sort of how do you resolve that and part of it is not allowing that to spill over and after about a year of this we sort of reached the climax of of uh of a campaign and it ended with basically two situations one that character died and so the rest of the group was sort of at odds of do we bring this person back and sort of there's this moral question of well, well we're sitting at the same table or virtual table with this human, you know, this person uh, that is there uh, who, who has a bond to their character. But, you know, as characters, uh, you know, that 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 person was not good, um, you know, in, in a in a game moral sense. Um, and so it created some, I think, conflict internally. And I think we were somewhat comfortable in that sort of um, discussion, I think, out front, but there had to be some sort of discussion between, I think, the player who was going to resurrect and the player who was who had died to basically say, you know, are you okay either way, you know, depending on how I role play this and that moved on. And by the end of the campaign, uh, that evil player, that, that, that player who had sort of had their alignment shifted, uh, started to specifically antagonize one other character in game because of a dynamic that had basically developed over a year. Um, and it got to the point where it was, it seemed like he was picking on that other character. And so I actually stepped aside um, and, and talked with him and said, you know, explain this to me, your, your thought process and where you're going with this and, you know, where you want to end up. And it ended up being sort of a great conversation um, to sort of say, this isn't exactly what maybe the group is, is seeing. And I think it's creating maybe some tension out of game um, and, and maybe ruining that magic a little bit because it seems so at odds with, with the expectation that they had. And so that sort of shifted. I gave him sort of a series of ideas or thoughts and really opened up the doors to what else he could do and still maybe have those sort of dynamics, but maybe not just specifically focus and pick on a character and, and sort of give him sort of a larger character arc or, or, or motive. And, um, and so I think that's the second takeaway is that if you notice if you know your players and, and, and you're, you're going to watch them um, and if you see that they're sort of furrowed brows or or maybe the table gets a little quieter than normal um, after some serial events and something just doesn't feel right, check in. Because if it doesn't feel right to you as a DM, it, it's not going it, to there probably isn't something right um, or something that needs to be maybe tweaked or addressed. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, sorry, Michael. I just want to go back to the the, the first scenario you talked about because um, obviously I was part of that that group when that new player came in, and um, one of the things that happened early on, and I've noticed this in other uh, groups where one player comes in who has not been part of the group for that time, you know, where there's an established group, and then one player comes in. Um, there are certain norms that develop. Uh, throughout the table, uh, one of the big things that, that, that can be uh, controversial is loot. Um, when the group discovers something, how that's handled tends to be a, a point of contention when groups don't already have a settled norm. Uh, so that, that I think would be a place to watch for that. Uh, it, it definitely mm -hmm. happened um, with that player who came in with us. Um, the first couple times we got loot, they acted a little differently than we would. And we kind of said, Hey, you know, that that's not how we do things. Um, we do it this way. 
and I think being upfront with that and being respectful about it and understanding, well, that this other player may have done it differently in their group and they, that might be normal for them. Uh, so understanding that there, there are going to be little sort of conflict points like that and understanding it and dealing with that in a, in a calm, respectful manner, not getting offended by it and thinking, well, this person just doesn't belong with us. They're probably more than happy to change their way of doing things to fit the group, which he was, um, and, and, you know, completely understood that. And I think he actually liked the way we do it. Um, but I think that that's a sort of a third takeaway is, uh, you know, understand that there are going to be little points of conflict and as players try to be receptive to that and know that those are going to come up at some point, whether it's a new group or, uh, an existing group with a new person coming in. Yeah. And I, and I think the important part there is it's not gatekeeping, right. We're not trying to exclude anybody from our game. I think it's right. just about making sure that there is good cohesion so that magic can develop. Right. Yeah. And if there needs to be tweaks along the way that that can certainly happen. Right. So, yeah, yep, absolutely. Because what I, I essentially hear y'all talking about is, right, we develop an unspoken etiquette as we play along as a table, right? And that we don't we don't sit down and write down that etiquette and say, hey, this is how we handle all these situations. But we ha- we all have an expectation or a perception of what that etiquette is. And honestly, right, when we're sitting at the same table, my perception may not be the same as Art's or the same as Emily's. And so when something happens that breaches my perception of it, that's what's going to start to cause kind of this off the table antagonism. Uh, Emily, I, I thought maybe throwing your way from a from a player perspective, uh, if you start to feel that breach or it, in a way um, uh, feel something off, you know, maybe if if you have some thoughts on how you handle it as a player or manage kind of that failure of expectation. Well. Uh... I may share a story that I thought of when we were getting our thoughts in order earlier um, because there was a situation in our first end of our first camp near the end of our first campaign. We were in the cave with the tunnel and I, as my, at that point I was playing the only female character in the campaign. And so when I wanted to go explore the tunnel and Art, your character refused to let me mm-hmm. in a way that was more forceful than you had played your character. Like it seems to be something of significance, but there was no explanation for it. And it went on perhaps for even over two sessions. Mm-hmm. I think maybe yeah, we ended too. and then, mm-hmm. yeah. And um it turned out to be a very character driven reason, but I would say the takeaway here is that I really should have asked what was going on. Cause I was just trying to figure out, I mean, this seems so unlike art it like as a person, uh, he would not just say, no, the woman can't go up the tunnel, <laughs> but I just, uh, I didn't in that moment know what was going on and it made me feel a little weird. Mm-hmm. So I didn't ask that was mm-hmm. my mistake. How did that resolve? Because y'all did resolve that eventually. So how did that resolve? Uh, I think, well, so Michael, you and I communicated about it. And I don't remember if it was just in like a private message during the game or something. Um, But I believe there may have been a role. Um, But essentially when it resolved the situation finally devolved into out of game conversation where yeah. I think I essentially just said like, what's going on? <laughs> right. What's up with this? Mm-hmm. 
And so we got there. And I would counter, I would counter though, that that's an, that's an evolution of the conversation, right? And in fact, one of the things that I love about role-playing and if you look back at like Dogs in the Vineyard or some of those indie RPGs where they're really trying to push this idea of moral decision making in game or to put us in positions that we're not used to or we're not normally comfortable with. And then we have to make an in-game decision, which could be at odds with our own personal ethics or morals. Right. So I think when that when that conversation leaves the table, in some way to me, that's that's just a, an evolution of it outside of and it, it's developing our skills to communicate with each other right i think as soon as you said that to me i was like oh yeah i see that and like we all knew that that's not what art intended and then it, it gave a great opportunity to think about what's it like to be the only female character in this in a you know very male scenario and then have this interaction happen and layer that on what happens in real life. And so I, that was, you know, I, I think those are really great moments that come out of the role playing. So and, you know, that debriefing, if we're if we're kind of hammering some point home this week, it's debrief, 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 right? Like talk, talk with your players as a GM players talk with each other and if you're not comfortable right find the person at the table that you're safest with discussing this and figure out a strategy for evolving that conversation yeah and, and i would i would say that debrief is absolutely necessary i would agree with you on that um and i i would go a step beyond that to say that it's important to create the safe space at the table before you start entering into uh, real conflict moments, do whatever you can to develop that trust, have conversations, get to know each other. Uh, because I think that in that, that example that you gave, Emily, one of the reasons that you allowed that situation to sort of go forward a little bit is because you knew that that wasn't something that, that I would, you gave me that, right. you gave me the player that sort of rope to go, okay, well, you know, this doesn't seem like him, but I'm going to let him go for a little bit and, you know, see where this takes it. Um, because you, you knew me well enough already to know that, yeah. it, you know, okay, that, that's, that's a little out of arts character. This must be Harold instead. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we hadn't had that kind of relationship, that could have gone very differently and could have been really horrible. Yeah. I mean, if we were strangers at a con table, I would have been real pissed at you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think that's the next part of this conversation, right? Is is we know what to, we, you know, we've we've kind of established a good groundwork. What do you do with the table you're familiar with, right? With, with people that you're surrounded by, that you care about, or that you have relationships with, right? That that there's one way. But what happens? Great to your point, Emily. What do you do when you're at the con, and somebody at the table busts out with a totally inappropriate accent or starts to do something that feels personally attacked or all of a sudden removes you from the game. And so, I, you know, I think that's a great place to kind of move this conversation in that direction. What do you do when you're surrounded by strangers and all of a sudden the game becomes antagonistic in a way that's that's not meant to be? That's a that's a challenging one. Um, having run a few games at cons now, um, I think 
you, you have a probably a, two differences. One is you have sort of the high fantasy or fantasy type of conflicts that can come up. And then you have sort of the, if we're playing Call of Cthulhu or things that are set in sort of a historical, like, you know, precedent with, with people, right. And like layers of really uh, deep, um, um, you know, you know, you know, cultural sort of, sort of divides that have happened right over, over centuries. And if we're talking about a Victorian era or, or, or the 1940s, right, the dynamics there um, are heavy. And I think one important thing I think would be even at a table that we know is to probably talk about some of those things and what's okay and not okay. Um, similarly, at a con, I think you, you probably want to lay that out um, if you have like um, your advertised material, right, in terms of sort of what this is about, you can maybe list that just so you don't have to have that sort of difficult conversation if that's hard for you. But otherwise, if it happens sort of organically in the game and somebody starts to come up with an odd accent or, or act maybe more misogynistic, um, then then one way that I would probably handle it or have is maybe take an earlier break um, and maybe sort of talk with that individual on the side um, so that you're not sort of I don't know, making them embarrassed for a choice that they made, right? It, it, they may be sort of caught up in the spirit or not have that sort of maybe self-awareness. And, and what you don't want to do is sort of put them on spotlight and probably ruin the next four hours, right, for them, despite the fact that they were doing something that was maybe offensive. Um, it may not have been, um, you know, ill-intended. Um, and, and it could be actually a really valuable learning opportunity. Um, the uh, the latest D&D module that just came out, Radiant Citadel actually has a great kind of intro or forward about this in terms of, say, not using sort of accents that could be, you know, mocking um, and how to sort of handle some of these cultural issues that I think are um, really important that we're now starting to, I think, address within the tabletop community that have been, I think, way later, at least not minimized and, 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 and um, you know, unfortunately so, but, but I'm really happy to see they're sort of coming to the forefront. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I, I think that um, we as GMs uh, have to accept some responsibility in, uh, in, in being progressive and in, uh, in being culturally and socially sensitive. Uh, we have an amazing opportunity. And I think because of that, a deep responsibility to check both ourselves the material that we're playing and the people at our table. Um, and uh, I want to highlight something that Michael did um, at a, an event where he was playing a module, he was GM GMing a module, and there were some things about that module that, that made him a little uncomfortable. And actually the four of us talked about it. And um, Michael came up with a great way to change some of the content to remove some of those uh, potentially offensive or insensitive situations before they happened. Uh, and, and I think that if more GMs can start thinking that way and start taking that responsibility and taking that ownership, um, that is going to help players to understand those things as well, especially if they're in a position to say, hey, you know, this was a thing that was this way. I was not crazy about that, so I changed it to this. Um, not just doing it behind the scenes, not letting anybody know, but it, that's an opportunity for us to say, hey, this is a thing that needs to change and this is how I change it. This is my little bit of it that I'm doing. Um, and then, like you said, Rick, highlighting those things at the table and saying, you know, this is these are some of the guidelines that we're going to follow as a group. These are some of the things that, that are not going to be okay. Um, people are going to make mistakes and that's okay. Um, but if you can, like you said, 
call those out in a way that, that doesn't put them on the spot, uh, but gives them an opportunity to grow and to learn and, and to be better. Uh, I think we have a we have a great opportunity as GMs and as role players to, to sort of highlight some of this stuff and actually play it out in, in what should be a safe space if we can create that environment. Yeah, and I, I mean, to go off that, it, you, you give me a lot of credit there, but that was really... I do give you happened, a lot of credit and you should take a lot of no, credit. But, <laughs> but it, that, you know, that was something that happened with the four of us, right? And I really appreciated, I, I think, the, the topic at hand here, right? Being able to talk. Like, I had that gut twinge when I read it. It was a scenario given to me. And I had this gut twinge when I read it that I was like, wow, I, I'm really uncomfortable playing this. And so, you know, through that conversation with y'all and, and y'all establishing, well, what are you comfortable playing? And, and how does it not go off the rails into, into situations that you, you don't want to deal with at the table? And, I, you know, I think you're right. I always had one of you at the table to kind of help me through this conversation with the players. But, we, you know, there would be three or four other tables playing the originally intended kind of version of the scenario. And so it it felt right to sit there and say, hey, I was uncomfortable with this. Um, I, I got help and and this is how it's changed so that we could play it in a way that I could relate to and portray it in a way that, you know, basically didn't feel racist. Um, but And don't you know, undersell the importance of you having the comfort as a game leader and a comfort in your own beliefs and values to do that. Because in that particular well, situation, no one else did. Like we gave you ideas, but you had to actually take the action. Yes, but I, you, you felt and, the discomfort and, and you did something about it. And, and yeah. that's the kind of thing that in little pieces at times like that, when you can multiply that by giving that to other people and explaining that to other people, that's how real change can start to happen. And that's how people who might not otherwise change can say, oh, yeah, you know what? I can see that. And, and I see how this makes sense. So we can really start to affect some, some real change by playing a game. Well, and, and I would say part of that confidence, and I, I have to give a kind of a shout out to the Harlem Unbound work by Chris Spivey here. Absolutely. Came, came from that work, which I, I don't think it matters what uh, kind of realm or system you're playing in, that work is worth reading. And, and what Chris Spivey does in that is really give us a, a, a fantastic foundation for understanding racism in role-playing, as well as it, what it means to be a mechanic within the game. Uh, versus for it to happen as an action. And he really clearly outlines it in there. And so if you're you're starting to run up against those things and you have questions, um, that, that Harlem Unbound book is phenomenal in how clearly he explains it and how well he goes through the steps of incorporating aspects into your game that you're comfortable with. So I, I would just put that out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think, right, the overall arching message is we're trying to create a table that's that's accepting, um, right, and and welcoming. And I think that's sort of the spirit of how tabletop gaming really got started, you know, um, when you start looking at sort of its origins and to now extend that, you know, in ways that I don't think maybe were initially thought of back then, I think is, is really important in a way of seeing this sort of organic growth. That's, that's you know, I'm proud to see the community sort of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, I think as we kind of like look towards closing out this episode, the big 
touch points that we could go back to are the idea of communication, right? It's a storytelling game already. We're working on storytelling. And as part of that storytelling, you know, you communicate with one another. Uh, on, on top of that, it's also managing expectations, right? Um, if my expectation is to go for the chest and grab all the loot, but everybody else's expectation at the table is to divvy it up on the on the blanket on the floor, um, that's a difference. And and it's okay to have those differences of expectations, but they need to be vocalized and understand if there's an underlying etiquette at the table that maybe not everybody knows about. Um, those are those are big takeaways for me from this conversation today. What about for y'all? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I agree with with that completely. Uh, you know, I think that that to me, it's setting those expectations ahead of time. Um, having conversations uh, among the group ahead of time uh, and sort of building up to those more uh, conflict moments that we were talking about in the last episode so that everyone feels heard and feels safe uh, and feels supported so that they can take risks in their role playing. And when that conflict happens, know that it's in game and not out of game. Yeah, I mean, the players trust you, right? You are supposed to be the shepherd of this narrative story in multiple ways. And and, and I think that's the important aspect here um, through, through as a through line through all of this. That's going to put a wrap on this week's session of Up Your RPG. Thanks for joining us. You can always join us at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table. Mm -hmm.